listening to 30 on Broadway, Talking Blue Shirts, on the Faceoff Hockey Network. All right, hey everybody, brand new episode 30 on Broadway. It is part two for our off season where we are talking about the Rangers and uh, rolling into it. We got Jake Hahn, who's going to join us, frequent guest. He should start getting like frequent flyer miles at this point. Um, but before we do that, we've got some really awesome news going on, not just on 30 on Broadway, but on the FHN as well. And this podcast and all the podcasts on the Face Off Hockey Network, as well as the FHN.net, is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package, which they hooked us up, by the way. They absolutely hooked us up and sent us an awesome package, which I'll talk about in a second, uh, is the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with an exclusive offer just for listeners of this show. You get 20% off and free worldwide shipping if you use 30 on Broadway at manscaped.com. Again, that's 30 on Broadway. And just off the top of my head, 4 million men, that's like 8 million balls across the globe. So, hey, it's summer. All right, we could talk about, you know, we would we, we'll jump into that for a second, but I just want to talk about, so we, we, we went into this partnership with Manscaped, and they were super, I mean, awesome. Dominic over at Manscaped, absolutely awesome, hooked us up with uh, the Performance 4.0 package, which it's like, there's so much stuff in here. Uh, there's, there's the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is phenomenal. It's got a freaking headlight on it, folks. It's got an LED light. I mean, it's the little, the little things for me. I'm going to be quite honest with you, but it's, it's the little things for me. And when I opened up the bag and I opened up the package and I took out the, the trimmer, it's got a nice, heavy, solid feel to it. Um, it's not overly loud and it's precise. It, it's fantastic, quite frankly. Um, smooth, clean cutting, man. It was it was it was great. They have it listed as the future of grooming, and dare I say, the greatest ball trimmer ever. Right now, I'm on I'm on board with that baby, like totally. So they got they sent us that, all right. But that's not all. Then they sent us the weed whacker because you know we're getting old, Nick. You and I are getting old. I'm a, I'm a, I got a little bit more years than you do, but this thing, this little weed whacker, is for your nose and your ears because when you get to you know heading into midlife crisis zone, you kind of need those things. So the weed whacker, they give us that. Then they give us the crop preserver ball deodorant, which smells freaking phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's it's awesome. Just absolutely awesome. Then there's the crop reviver ball toner. Okay. Another thing. Smells great. Smells absolutely phenomenal. It's terrific. It all came in this awesome case. They call it the shed. It's an awesome case. It's an awesome carrying case. You could throw a travel storage bag. You could throw it in your your 
your your luggage, your carry-on luggage. You can throw it in a backpack if you're doing a quick overnight. Maybe you're running into the city and you need to keep yourself looking pretty. Oh, look at that. That was good, right? You like that. Nick is shaking his head. Like Nick, Nick is over there, like surprised right now. He doesn't know what's happening. So they said this awesome bag. The thing, the other thing that I thought was awesome, the other thing that I thought was absolutely awesome with this was the charging stand that they sent with it. It has a plug. Now I don't know about you, Nick. I know you don't do a whole lot of shopping on Amazon, but this I don't. This a lot of times when you buy stuff now, the trimmer, like anything, comes with a USB plug, and then it doesn't have a freaking uh, actual plug that goes into your wall. It's just got the cord. It, it drives me nuts. I hate that. So the fact that they had that was absolutely awesome. Again, big thanks to Dominic for hooking us up over there. You go to Manscaped.com. You use the promo code. 30 on Broadway, you get 20% off and you get free shipping. Again, just go hit it up. And we're going to roll right into Jay Khan here. How are we doing, fellas? Good to be back. It's great to have you back. I am excited because Igor Shesterkin got recognized yep. for what he is, the best goalie in the NHL this year. So I am very, the only thing I would have liked and what I want to know is I want to know who the three second place votes were. Because I'm annoyed that it wasn't unanimous. Well, they're supposed to be. I, I know we're in a place now in the NHL where the the people that vote on these awards they actually do have to release or they can release um, who they voted on, right? So we might actually find that out in the coming days. So you could get what you want uh, to actually see who who had those second place votes. I'd say what first to many here, boys. First Vesna of I don't know. I don't want to put a number out there, but you have to think it's the first of at least a handful for Igor, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think uh, if not, he'll go the Hank route and win it once and be like a five-time finalist, which I'm also cool with. Because at least if you're a finalist, they, they're recognizing you for as good as you are. I mean, it's still absurd to me that Hank only won one. I, I just, I like, I can't get beyond that he only won one. That's it's crazy to think back at how how good he was and how consistent he was too, right? Like it's not like he was one of those goaltenders that just comes and goes and peaks every few years. He was as consistent as they get. So that's a weird one to to think of the the story career of Henrik Lundqvist that he only picked up one. Well, it's funny because like I, I I was talking about this earlier and I, I am curious to know your thought on this, Jake, because I do feel like the the vote the award process for voting is a little bit wonky because like I, I feel like there are years where guys should win certain awards and they don't get them because at some point they almost view it like a lifetime achievement thing. Like there was a couple years, like there was about a three, four year window where I thought Shea Weber should have won the Norris like every year, never won. It got overshadowed by PK Subban or Drew Doughty or Eric Carlson, which I love Eric Carlson. Prime Eric Carlson might be my favorite defenseman, but I just, but then there was a year where Carlson should have won and they gave it to Weber. Like, okay, he's been nominated a bunch of times, but he's never won. This wasn't exactly his best year. So let's give it to him now to be like, okay, let's make up for it. I remember that with the Norris for years and years. It was like that. It was like, okay, you almost have to cut your teeth for a few years and we'll nominate you a couple of times. And then we'll give it to you after your like fourth or fifth nomination or, you know, once you've been in the league for a long time. So I think the Norris in particular has changed, at least in recent years. And we actually are seeing some of these young defensemen get recognized. I mean, your your guy, Adam Fox, getting recognized recently for the Norris Trophy. And 
I, I know it's, you know, it's getting there for Kale McCarr and he's probably going to get his uh, eventually, but we are seeing some of these younger defensemen at least have a chance and, and step in and win this award. And I think perfect example too, with the Vesna here, uh, you know, Igor Shesterkin still a, a relatively young goaltender, at least in the NHL terms, um, ha, you know, hasn't been around for a very long time, getting a chance to come in and get recognized instantly like this. And, you know, I, I have issues with who votes for the awards and, and how we do it. And, you know, I, I could go on about that for a while, just, I feel like the people that should be voting on these awards should be people that watch the entire league. Like you shouldn't, you should, I shouldn't necessarily get a vote if you just cover one team and it's nothing against those people. I just think when you're so laser focused on one team, you know, if you're covering an East coast team, you're busy. You're like, you're, you're yeah. locked in on that team. You have to file a report for the game. You're missing the late games. You're not really seeing anything and vice versa for people that work on the West coast, not really seeing the East coast game. So I would like to see, you know, the people that vote on these awards, be general media people, people that cover the in- entire NHL. That's what I would like to see the most. I agree. I say we get you and Boomer a vote. You oh, we and love, Boomer we definitely love votes. Like, <laughs> I mean, well, because I, I look at it like, like the Jack Adams. I'm still amazed that John Cooper hasn't gotten one. Like, I, I feel like John Cooper now could win one every single year, and like I could walk away and be like, yeah, that's that's fair. Like, I ha- I have no issue. I mean, and it's funny that that's coming out of my mouth because a couple of years ago, I couldn't stand John Cooper. There was just something about him I didn't like. And maybe it's just because he, he spoke so you know glowingly about the Rangers that it just warmed my heart. And now I'm a big John Cooper guy. But I when you look at like best coach throughout the league, it's just like, how is he or Barry Trotz or like, how are these guys not winning it every single year? The, the Jack Adams to me is such an odd trophy because a lot of the reasons that you mentioned, like I don't necessarily think we decide the best coach every year because I think we just look at the team that we didn't see a lot coming from that year, like a team that we underestimated or a team that we had missing the playoffs. And then they have a great surprising season and we just go with that head coach. That's not to take anything away from this year's winner in Daryl Sutter, who we know is a great coach and he has been for a long time. And, you know, every stop that he's, that he's had, he's had some sort of success. It's just kind of a a tricky award. And I, I don't think that we end up recognizing the best coach always. And, you know, I think we knock coaches, that have a good team, like a John Cooper. Like we just expect Tampa to be good every year. So his path to winning the award is so narrow. Like they would literally have to dominate the league, start to finish, put up, you know, record totals. And even then they might still give it to some coach that snuck in in the seven or eight seed uh, and just had a surprising season. So it's, it's a funny award. I think if you ask John Cooper, he'd say, I'm fine with my Stanley cups. I don't need the Jack Adams, but it is <laughs> it's kind of wild to think of the longest tenured coach in the NHL. Now, someone who actually doesn't get fired, which is saying something uh, for NHL <laughs> coaches these days, uh, which is just, it's crazy with the carousel that we have going on right now. But it, you know, I think it just speaks to to where that award is at, and it's a, it's a funny one for sure. I I am curious, and and then we'll I I think we'll we'll get into the the Ranger portion of this. But this is something that Chris and I have always had a debate on, and I now we have an impartial third party, and I would like a tiebreaker here. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. I I am perfectly okay with the Norris Trophy as is. I. I don't like that it always goes to the best offensive defenseman. I think there needs to be a, a change in thinking a little bit that it needs to be given to the best overall defenseman, in which case Victor Hedman or Jacob Slavin would alternate winning it every single year. And Chris wants there to be a new award for the best offensive defenseman 
and then like you make the Norris the best offensive defenseman, and then you come up with you know, uh, Chris, give me a great defensive defenseman from years past that we can name the award after. Oh God, oh man, there's there's plenty that I, I mean just the come on, give me one. The idea behind it wasn't necessarily that it was just my mindset always was that it seems like the offensive defenseman took precedent, and you have a lot of these defensemen that are great but they get no recognition at all because you just don't hear about them because they're doing their job perfect. Um, and it was always kind of the thing where it's should that award focus on, oh, this defenseman's putting up a ton of points. And that seems like that's kind of where it's – it's not all the time, but that's kind of where it's gotten to. Um, I'm not championing for another award because do we really need another award? That's probably – you know, you start to water things down at a point. But. I still believe in Mick Kern's idea, though, for the Wayne Gretzky Assist Leader Award. I love that idea personally. I like I like that one as well. I, we actually had that growing up uh, in minor hockey. When I, when I grew up playing minor hockey uh, around here, it was called the Jason Arnott Award. I don't know if you guys remember Jason Arnott. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. In the NHL for a while, Stars, Devils, a few other stops as well. And uh, he was a local guy. Uh, he played in the same minor hockey program that I did. So there was an award named after him, and it was for most assists. Like it, and it, I think it tried to teach you as a kid growing up that like assists are just as important as goals. And, you know, just because you're not putting the puck in the back of the net doesn't mean you're not necessarily having an impact on the game. And that's always stuck with me for a long time. So I'm, I'm with you on that. I would like the assist award. I don't know if there's a, enough buzz out there for that to actually happen, but I would be interested in that. And, uh, you know, to, to quickly touch on what you guys were talking about with the Norris trophy, I, I think we've been there now for a while. Like we go back, you guys referenced the, you know, the time period when Shea Weber was losing out to guys like Eric Carlson or PK Subban. Whereas I looked at it and I thought Shea Weber was the best defenseman of the bunch all of those years. So I'm totally with you on that. And I, it used to frustrate me a little bit because I thought, you know, what am I watching here? Like I see holes in Eric Carlson's game defensively. I see holes in PK Subban's game defensively. Why are these guys winning the awards? But I think as we trend more and more towards the offensive defenseman, and I think five to 10 years from now, we're going to see a lot more guys that play in the style of Adam Fox and Kale McCart. Not as good as those guys. I think those guys are as good as it's going to get, uh, but that's the style of defenseman I think we're going to see have success in the NHL now. So I, I just think that this is where we're at, and the offensive defensemen are going to continue to, to win this award because we're not far away, and probably as early as next year, to see a 100-point defenseman. Like Kale McCart could could hit a hundred points next year. Adam Fox could sniff 90 points, something like that. Like these guys, even Roman Yossi as well, uh, nominated this year for, for the award and are most likely going to win. Like we're seeing a hundred point guys or close to it. I'm on the back end now. And I just think it's going to be really difficult for a guy like Jacob Slavin with the numbers that he puts up as effective as he is to even sniff the award at this point. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't doubt. I mean, I think when you look at, at blue lines now and i mean you you look at you look at tampa and how they're built you look at colorado the way they're built i mean just between mccarr and byram they don't see a stop sign at the blue line they they get the puck and they go and they're playing below the goal line they're leading the rush most most times you know through the neutral zone it's completely different from when i started playing and how defensemen were coached of you know you don't lead the play if something happens that organically gets you there then you know that's fine but you always have to be responsible now it's go 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 don't worry about it somebody's gonna have to fill in for you 
And it's all about, you know, forwards being more responsible and knowing what their what their D is doing at all times. And I'm I'm just seeing it too, guys, uh, as we're talking here, Kill McCarr has won. Yeah, so that's uh that's that's a shocking one for me i i maybe i shouldn't say shocking but a little bit surprised i thought it would go to yossi with the season that he had not at all saying that makar what uh isn't undeserving i mean the guy was is incredible and what he's still doing in the playoffs right now is incredible but that's one i probably would have got wrong i i thought we were going to go with uh with yossi this year with the season that he had they were close too in the points and actually yossi on the first place votes yossi actually edged him by six wow and again, I'm a, I'm upset for Victor Hedman. I, I am upset for Victor Hedman. Like I, I I'm not gonna lie. Four first place votes for Victor Hedman. That that to me is just okay. like I, when you watch Hedman play. You have a bias. Well, it's like I think that is I think there is a thing there. I mean, but like when you watch Tampa Bay play and you see what Victor Hedman does for that team. How is that guy not in – and I'm, look, I don't think they got it wrong with McCarr. I mean, when you watch Colorado and when they're going, Kel McCarr is at the center of it. As much as I love watching Nathan McKinnon, and I think Nathan McKinnon arguably is the second greatest player in the world right now, I just watch Colorado, and when the puck is on McCarr's stick, that whole team is different. Like, there, there's a different – vibe to watching them when McCarr is going and it's the same thing with Tampa when Hedman isn't the one commanding the breakout it looks like they have an issue getting out of their end so it's like I I, I just ah man I, w- I wish Hedman would get a little bit more respect on that yeah McCarr to me is such a game changer like he's got a McDavid quality about him from the back end which whereas Colorado to me just looks like a completely different team when he's on the ice. So I can understand this. I think we all figured McCarr was either going to win this one or he's going to win next year. It's probably going to rack up a few of these, these Norris trophies. He's that special. I, I'm totally with you on Victor Hedman. I mean, the guy is just an absolute beast. He does it every year. He's so consistent. He's been doing it forever. The the year Roman Yossi had to me though, was just so special. Like what he did for the Nashville Predators, if you take him off that team, they're they're to me nowhere close to yep. to making the playoffs. So yeah. for me, I think that has to factor in. Like if you t- if you took McCarr off the Avs, they're still a great team. It would obviously hurt them. If you took Hedman off Tampa, that would be a really big loss. I think it would be tough for them to recover. But if you took Yossi out of, out of Nashville, they're not a playoff team. So that's why I would have gone with Roman Yossi this year. But it's it was certainly a close race right down to the wire. Oh yeah, I, I'm interested now seeing the the Hart Trophy coming up, and I I have a feeling. It'll be Austin Matthews. I, I just the year he had was absolutely ridiculous. Like it was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. And I think Igor, the month of March, I think really hurt Igor because he had a couple of rough games. He had the Devil game. He had the, the game against St. Louis in St. Louis. There was just a couple outings there that I thought, oh, that kind of sealed his fate for not winning the heart. But, man, if you go by – and this is my whole thing. If you go by the definition of what it is, the most valuable player, you take Igor Shesterkin off the New York Rangers, they're not a 52-win team. And Austin Matthews did win the, the Hart Trophy. So, I mean, I, I did pretty good tonight. I got four out of five. The only one I got wrong was the Ted Lindsay. I thought McDavid would win that. They gave it to Matthews. So, I am I, I had a pretty good night. I, I'm actually impressed with myself for picking I, winners. Yeah, I think the only one I would have missed would have been Roman Yossi. I would have gone Yossi for the Norris. So I, I did 
decent as well. And I, on your point uh, with Igor Shosturkin, I think it's interesting. I, I just feel like for this award, for the Hart Trophy, obviously the goaltenders have their own award. And he basically re- won that running away. I don't think anybody is going to debate who deserved to win the Vesna this year. I just think for the Hart Trophy, if you're a goaltender, you have to do something completely special. Like you have to have an otherworldly season to be able to beat some of these guys, especially now when guys are scoring 60 plus goals, tons of guys going over 100 points. Like it's difficult to compete with the numbers that these forwards are able to put up. So I, I, I think this year I'm fine with it going to Matthews, but I would keep my eye on that special Igor Shosturkin season at some point in the next few years where if he can just put up, a, you know, ridiculous goals against average save percentage, maybe a bunch of shots outs it's going to be difficult to make a case against him so he he's a candidate here for the next few years I think for hard trophies and obviously for Vesna's oh absolutely I, I said to Chris I, I think Igor missing that month of the season I think is what got him I think if he played yeah. for that month he probably squeezes out another six seven wins and you know wins over 40 games and I think it becomes a little bit of a tighter race with with Matthews I just think once Matthews hit 60, I was like, yeah, there's there's no no way anybody's voting for Igor over a 60 goal season. It's tough. Like we we haven't seen 60 goal seasons very often. And maybe now that we're trending more towards a higher scoring league, they will become old hat. And we're going to see Austin Matthews do it a few times. And we're probably going to see some of these other guys touch 60 goals. But for now, I think it's still just such a special achievement. And for what he was able to do. But Nick, I like I liked your argument, too, on what the award truly means. Like we're talking about the player that's most valuable to their team. And you can make a very strong case out of the three nominees that Igor Shosturkin was the most valuable player to his team this year. So I'm here for that debate. Ultimately, I think a lot of people don't look at it that way and they just look at the raw numbers and it's tough to look away from the the raw numbers that Matthews put up this year. Oh yeah. Without, without a doubt. But I, I think, I think the Rangers are in a good, are in a good area though. When you look at how much young talent there is and how much like the, the, the few, like, when you consider you have a guy now that won the Vezina, you have a guy who was a heart finalist this year. A couple yeah. years ago, you had another heart finalist. You know, you have a guy that was fourth or fifth this year in Norris voting and won the Norris last year. And then when you look at the, the other guys on the team, like Keandre Miller, who I thought took a huge step in the playoffs. I don't know. I like, I mean, Chris, Jake, you, um, I thought Miller might have arguably been the best Ranger not named Igor Shisterka in this postseason. When going back to to John Cooper, we talked about him a little bit earlier. There was that mic'd up clip of him and Keandre Miller in the handshake and the respect that John Cooper had for Keandre Miller and the, the fact that he noticed how great he was in that series, I think was very telling. And there was a lot of respect there for a young player who's just going to continue to get better. So I, I just thought it was such an important stepping stone, especially for those younger guys. Like you guys saw it. Obviously, you guys were disappointed when the, the season ended and you get that close. There's always that disappointment. I think it's the older guys that it's really going to affect the most. Like you saw Chris Kreider, you saw Mika Zibanejad, like it really hit those guys hard. You get that. You just don't know if you're going to get back there anytime soon. But I think for the younger guys, really, really important to take that step. And you got to play conference final games against the Tampa Bay Lightning team that might go down as one of the greats of all time. And I I just don't think that you can put a number on that. Like, I don't think there's an analytic for that or anything like, or or anything like that. It's, it's just, it's so important for the development of those young players. And it's something that a lot of teams with young players don't get to do. Like they don't get to take them to the conference final and show them the ropes and show them what it's like. So that's the kind of experience that you just can't buy that you can't have in training camp or throughout the 
season, playing regular season games. And I think it's going to go a long way for the Keandre Millers, you know, Capo Caco, Lafreniere, Heedle, all of these younger players that, that got that valuable experience. Yeah, and, and we talked about that last week on our show. Where it was like you said, you, you're disappointed, and and really the disappointment came from they were up to nothing on Tampa. Right. And and that's yeah. where like you're disappointed at any because you're two wins away, and then you give up a reverse sweep. But from top to bottom, I mean, you could point to you could point to which I I use the round one. They let round one go too far. I, I felt that they let Pittsburgh that series shouldn't have gone past five. You knew Carolina was going to be a tough series no matter what, and was without without a doubt probably going to go seven and from that point it was like they could roll with it you see what happens um, but I think that's really where they kind of ran out of gas was because of that first round and you get into Tampa and then in the third in the third period of game three you don't you take your foot off the pedal and you give Tampa that 20 minutes and that's all they needed and you gave them you give them some kind of life and I, ironically Colorado saw that saw that themselves yesterday of being up two nothing in a series where it looked like they were going to blow the doors off of Tampa. And then Tampa just, it's like, Hey, it, now we got a series here. So overall for me, for the Rangers, I, I looked at it as it was a great success just for like what you said with the kids. I mean, just for them alone, the, the, the giant strides that they took. I mean, we, we had said going into the playoffs, we were like, we expect big things out of Lafreniere. You know, we, we, we kind of expect Lafreniere to, to have a good showing. And then, you sit at the end of the day and you're like Philip Hedo, Capocaco, Lafreniere, Braden Schneider, who didn't get a lot of talk, but, you know, as a rookie defenseman, played really well on his own, you know, and then Keandre Miller, the steps that he took, and then Igor just continuing to be Igor. Um, yeah, for me, it was an overall a, a huge success for the Rangers for the postseason. Yeah, I think you're going to look back to, obviously, you mentioned being up 2 nothing, and then even being up 2 nothing in that third game too, right? Like, you're always yep. going to remember, man, like, if we could have just locked it down, if we didn't take this penalty, if we didn't do that, maybe we'd be the ones playing in the cup final right now. But I'm curious what you guys think. Like, you know, the Rangers as good as anybody, you follow this team so closely. Obviously you wanted them to beat Tampa. You want to be in the cup final, but is watching the abs a, like a bit of an eye opening experience for you thinking, man, like would we have had a shot against this team? Like, how do you guys think the the Rangers would have fared against the Colorado avalanche? Ultimately we won't, really know or maybe maybe we find out next year or uh in in the coming years but how do you guys think the the rangers would have fared against a team like colorado i was <laughs> i was i was kind of curious to see how colorado was going to go up against a strong goaltender because i a lot of people talked about all oh, the rangers had backup goaltenders or you know they had auntie ranta who was a nobody which i thought was incredibly disrespectful to auntie ranta he's a very underrated goaltender in his own right um and then it was like, oh, they got Vasilevsky, and then they, they're out. And it was always kind of like a let's take a shot at the Rangers for whatever reason. Um, but then you look on the other side of the conference, and you're like, well, Colorado really got a buy through the first round. They, they faced that at, mostly. They faced the third, the third string of cells, or you know, even the backup. They didn't have to face UC Soros, even though still would it have mattered? Would they have? Would Nashville have maybe gotten a game out of it? Probably not. Um, but then you know you looked at. Where they went from there, they had Jordan Bennington with St. Louis. He gets hurt. Huso comes in, doesn't play well. And then they have Mike Smith, who is, you know, hot. I mean, the, the ends of the spectrum with, with Mike Smith, whether he's phenomenal or it's just it's a tire fire. No so I was really, yeah, I was really <laughs> curious to see where, where it, what was going to happen when they got Vasilevsky in the first two games. I was sitting here just going, oh, my God. It's like this, this would have been they would have ran us out of out of the building. Like we would have had no shot at all, 
Um, but now game three, I watch game three and I'm like, well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I just, no illusions and not trying to be delusional. I think Colorado probably would have swept the Rangers. I, I just, the way that they attack and knowing the Rangers issues at even strength to score goals. I just, I looked at it like that's a recipe for disaster because Colorado, they just come in waves and they don't stop. And they just, you know, they, and with the Rangers injury issues with everything that Strom was dealing with, Heedle got banged up against Tampa. Ryan Lindgren was literally a walking injury, but he battled through it. Like I, I loved everything I saw from Ryan Lindgren. I thought Panarin was hurt the way Panarin was playing, but evidently he was healthy, which was news to me, which is also slightly unsettling because I, I just, I didn't get what I wanted from Panarin. I, I, I didn't see the, the Panarin that we've seen the last couple of years, which was highly disappointing. So I, I just look at the way things were going for the Rangers against Colorado. I think they would have run us out of the building. It, it would have been a sweep. I think we would have been lucky to get one. Yeah, and, and we still could be looking at a five-game series here. Like, I know we're coming off of the Tampa Bay win, and they threw a bit of a blow back to Colorado, which I think you expected Tampa to show up, especially after a blowout, like 7 nothing in a Stanley Cup final. Like, that that couldn't have felt good, and, and you knew Tampa would bounce back in some way. But Colorado's still been the better team through three games, and they even had chances in game three. They were able to generate a lot offensively. So they still they feel like they're on a different level, and maybe Tampa can crack the code, and we know what they have with the goaltender. I think if the Rangers played them, Shesterkin is that same X factor that Vasilevsky is. So like if he is just has this heroic performance, it can really frustrate a team, and then you get some power plays, maybe you can win that way. But, yeah, I think it, it probably would have been a quick series uh, for Colorado. And like I said, this one might end up being a quick series too. Like Colorado's one road win away on Wednesday night from all of a sudden taking this thing back, back to Colorado 3-1, and you got to think it's it would be trouble for the Lightning at that point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can't picture Tampa going back to, to Denver down three games to one. And, I mean – I wouldn't count them out until the final buzzer at the 60 yeah. minutes, but yeah, like what Nick said, I mean, the, the wave of the, the onslaught of Colorado is just, and it's interesting because before, before, I think it was before the season on our other podcast, we had you on and we were talking about, you know, what's the step that Colorado has to take. And, you know, especially with Jared Bednar as coach and it was, you know, they've got to make some kind of noise here in the playoffs and it, and they just turned it on to a whole nother level. I mean, it's just it's incredible what they're what that team does from top to bottom. And even the other night when they put up, I think what they put up was a seven that they put up against. And yeah. not a sing, and Kale McCarr had put in two, but nothing from Landeskog, Rantanen or uh, McKinnon. No goals from either of those guys. And you're sitting there going, this team just put up seven. And none of those guys factored outside of a couple of assists in the major production there. That's scary. And that, and that's kind of what annoys me, like about about the Rangers when the 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 Rangers they they got a lot of production from the kid line, but like Artemi Panarin, not a lot of goals. I you know he had the big one against Pittsburgh to end the series. He had he had one against Tampa Bay, but it was you know the the game was already over. It was four two, and then he scored to make it five two. Like the goals that Panarin was scoring outside of the Pittsburgh goal. They weren't those big momentum swingers or, you know, go-ahead goals that that you need from an $11 million guy. Like, 
the the offense, all the clutch offense seemed to be coming from Mika Zibanejad because Kreider was getting goals, but they were here and there. They were hit and miss. The most consistent offensive weapon outside of the kids was Mika. So, I mean, which is good, but it's also one of those things where you're seeing how Colorado's built and how how Val Nichushkin, who they, you know, they built up his confidence after how everything went wrong for him in Dallas, and look where he is. Andre Burakovsky, who wore out his welcome in Washington and turned into, a, you know, is turning into a huge added bonus here in Colorado. So it's like they're getting production from guys like Logan O'Connor. Like, I, I guarantee you, Logan O'Connor can walk down the street in Denver and maybe five people will know who he is. Like, those unsung heroes are the guys that are getting Colorado through. Yeah, and I, I think one thing, too, I wanted to bring up with you guys uh, that I feel like a team like the Rangers can try to duplicate from the success that we've seen Colorado have so far. One of their strength is, strengths is from the back end. Like, it's a major strength. We know how good Makar is, Taves, all these guys, you know, on, on the back end. Now we're seeing Bowen Byram come up as a young defenseman. They just move the puck so quickly, and they play the game at a different pace, and I don't think they get enough credit for what they do defensively now. And I think, you know, their, their defense is almost just a good offense, like getting that puck out, transitioning really quickly from their own zone into the neutral zone and beyond. And I think that's something that the Rangers could have a blueprint for. Like they have Adam Fox. You, we talked about Keandre Miller a little bit earlier. Like you can build a stable of good young defensemen that can move the puck and then surround them with some veteran forwards up front. And you mentioned the Nishuskins and, and sort of glue guys like that, that are good two way forwards. I think that's the blueprint now to build a cup winner. It's obviously hard to, to put the speed on the ice that Colorado possesses, but what they're able to do from the back end, that transition game, I think like the Rangers are building towards with some of their young defensemen. Oh, yeah. Like, I think the, the biggest thing, you know, I, I think Fox is great at outletting the puck. But I think the one thing that I saw this this postseason from Keandre that I hadn't seen from him, you know, in in the year, you know, the over a little bit over a year he's been in the NHL, Keandre's skating ability is absolutely insane. And when the pass isn't there, he's not afraid to break it out himself and just take it to the red line or even go to the opposing blue line and just enter the zone by himself. And that's an underrated aspect, I think, of his game. Because when you look at Keandre Miller, you know, big body, long stick, so he's got a great reach. And you for, it, then when you actually watch him skate and when he's able to break through the neutral zone, it's like, holy hell, this guy can really move. So it's one of those things where I, I always – it's not a fair thing to put on the kid because it's a, almost an unrealistic expectation. But when you compare – his look and his frame and just apples to apples of how he can play potentially. I see his very high top of the line ceiling being Victor Hedman. Like I, I think that's a fair comparable. Yeah. And I, I think too, the one thing that you said, the most important thing to all of this. And when we're talking about how teams and creating a blueprint for winning, winning the Stanley cup, competing for the Stanley cup it comes down to these puck moving defensemen and skating. Like you mentioned the the skating of, of Keandre Miller. 
this is just where the league is going. You've always had to be a good skater to be in the NHL. That goes without saying. But I think now there's this other level of guys that we're seeing, like the Connor McDavid's, the Kale McCars, who can just skate you off the off of the sheet. And you could throw Nathan McKinnon in that category as well, the way that he moves his feet. So if you can get a few of those guys on your team, you're immediately ahead of the game. And there's teams that just literally can't keep up with you. So I, I think it's nice to have those young players on your team, especially, I think, from the back end. And we are seeing this game head a little bit more towards positionless hockey with some of these younger defensemen, right? So it's it's been interesting to follow over these past couple of years. And I think what the abs are doing is giving us a little glimpse into the future of what the NHL might look like. Uh, are people going to be, our team's going to be able to do it as good as Colorado? That's going to be the challenge. But I think this is the hockey that we're going to start seeing over the next five to 10 years. So now with the, as, as we, as we get close to wrapping here, with the the off season, the Rangers have an interesting one ahead of them. Obviously, a big question marks in the center role. Ryan Strom, free agent. Andrew Kopp, pretty much everybody that they brought in from the off season, a free agent. Where do you think the Rangers go? What do you think the Rangers do with their with their openings that they've got? Yeah, I, I think it's a really fascinating conversation because it's almost like a take your pick. Okay, who do we who do we keep here? And I'm actually really interested to hear what you guys have to say on this. You, you know, you follow it really closely. You know these players. I've I've been a huge Andrew Kopp fan for a couple of years, and I, I I find that he's an extremely underrated player. When the Rangers made that move, I, I didn't know that they would be in on Andrew Kopp, and I thought, man, that's a that's a cool move that could really work out well for the Rangers. And clearly it did to an extent. I mean, they got to a conference final, which I think they would have absolutely taken when they made that deal. So I've always been a, an Andrew Kopp fan. This isn't revisionist based on his time with the Rangers. I thought he was one of the more underrated pieces of the Winnipeg Jets. So if you could find a way to keep him, I think that that would be really nice. I, I just love the versatility of Andrew Kopp. And I don't even think we really saw his full potential with the Rangers because he came in late in the season. He played in the playoffs. Uh, you know, he, he was kind of in that second line role for the most part, a little bit of a third line role, got a little bit of power play time here and there, but not so much on the first unit. Uh, he's he's a guy I think could be a really interesting piece moving forward because he can play down the middle of the ice. He can play at either wing. He can take those uh, key important face-offs. He can play on your power play, your penalty kill. Like he's just that utility knife type player that I would like to see the Rangers figure out a way to keep him in. Is it is it as simple, and you guys could probably answer this better than I can, is it as simple as Ryan Strom or Andrew Kopp right now? Like you can't have both, right? You almost have to have to take your pick. Yeah, I think it's it comes down to like the biggest one is, you know, which which one's more money. I, I, I think like the idea is that Ryan Strong will command more. Um, but like what you said, I, I like the versatility of Andrew Kopp. I feel like you could put Andrew Kopp in almost every situation um, and, and in any role and he'll be good. I know his faceoff numbers dipped with New York. I don't know if it's a New York thing that they can't win faceoffs. Maybe they should bring, they, maybe they need to bring Craig McTavish over just to have him work on it or something. But um, I, I like I like Andrew Cup. I like everything that he brought in. I mean, personally, I like. I would love to find a way to keep every single guy from the from the from the deadline. I thought every single one of them came in and factored in in big moments. Um, I know that's not possible and it's not going to happen just with some of the moves that the Rangers have already made, which is fine. But my pick, I would I would say Andrew Kopp is is the guy that I would want to to bring back, especially after what you paid for him. How about yeah. Frank? How about Frank Vitrano, guys? I I, I like I like this guy. I don't know about about how where you guys stand on Vitrano, but I liked I liked him a lot. I was a big. Uh, oh, go, go, go ahead, Chris. All right. No, 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 go ahead. 
I was a big I was a big Frank Fratrano guy going before, even when he was. I think it was when he got traded from Boston to Florida. I picked up Frank Fratrano in fantasy, in fantasy hockey, and he like lit it up. And I was like, this guy's awesome. He's got the speed. He can. He's got a tremendous shot. His Great ability. Shot, yeah. He just got buried in the offensive depth of Florida, um, and he just kind of became more of a. He was just more of a, a depth role, which really doesn't technically suit what I think he can bring to the table. Um, he comes up here to New York, and he took – for him, he took advantage of the opportunity because it put him on a spotlight. Um, he fit in great in the lineup. I, I like everything that he brings about him. You know, people will say, oh, he's a local he's a local guy, so that kind of adds to the to the, to the the flair of, of Vetrano. You know, everybody we, – we were always joking every time he would score, it was a gobble goal. You know, we're using the, the New York slang and stuff for him. So he really he he kind of became quickly a fan favorite. I, I would love if there was a way to, to to find a way to squeeze him into the lineup. But it's one of those where it's again, it's you start wondering where can you where can you do it both in dollar dollar wise and as well as roster. Yeah, that's that's the problem with uh, with Frankie, I think, is when you look at it, as much as I liked him and I loved having him. I the Rangers are so wing heavy. They're so wing heavy that it's almost hard unless he's willing to take less money and play like maybe a third line role and you know possibly get moved up with Mika and Kreider, you know, depending on how things go injury-wise whatever. I mean, when you look at the Rangers bringing Vitali Kraslov back on a one-year extension and it's a one-way contract, I think that says they're going to at least give him a shot with the big club and see if we can make this work once and for all, or are we going to have to move on? So I, I think that also takes a spot away from Vitrano right off the bat. For me, in terms of who I would like the, the, the Rangers to bring back in, in terms of, you know, priority number one for me is cop. I love Ryan Strom in four years here. This year ended really badly and it probably is because of, you know, him dealing with an injury and then getting hurt in the conference final, which really sucked. But I just don't see how the Rangers can look and say it's almost to me. It would it would not be as bad as what Ken Holland did in Edmonton, looking at Mike Smith and Miko Koskin and being like, yeah, let's run that back. But I don't know how Chris Drury can look at Ryan Strom here as a second line center and say, yeah, I want to do that again. I, I think sometimes, as hard as it is, you got to say goodbye. And Strom was a really good Ranger, but I think the Rangers need to move on from him. And I, I hope he gets paid somewhere else. I really do. Because he's a likable guy. Like, he really played hard for the Rangers, but I just think it's one of those things. Are we going to win a cup with Ryan Strom as our second-line center? Probably not. I think Andrew Kopp is a better fit at center than he is at wing, and I think that's the other problem. Like I thought he did good on the on the right wing for the second line as a Ranger, but I don't think he was I don't think he was ever that comfortable. I thought he played well in spite of not being comfortable. So I'd like to see him in the middle because I know in Winnipeg when he was in the middle he played really really well. So and you know he can play with talented players because look what he did in Winnipeg. So. I think him as the second line center would be great, and then it also opens up a spot for Capo Caco on the second line, which I think 
moving past the the whole he got scratched in game six, which I thought was a stupid decision, because in no world does Dryden Hunt give you a better chance to win than Capo Caco. But I think Caco needs to be with with the playmaker like Panarin because he does stuff that Panarin doesn't do in terms of winning board battles and, and making those plays along the wall that Artemi Panarin just won't make because that's not his game, so you can't expect him to do that. I think he's just a really good complement, and with Panarin's playmaking, with his shot, it should register you know, great returns. I'm with you on Cop uh, down the middle of the ice. I like him there better as well, and I think that would be the sort of the perfect replacement. If you move on from Strom, I think you give the money to Cop. You make him that second-line center. If you need to put him down to the third line, you can as well. I, I wanted to get your guys' opinion, too, on the kid line uh, just quickly because, you know, we know they took a step in the playoffs. They got that valuable experience. Is it as simple? Like they don't figure out something with Cop and Strom. I guess that's certainly a possibility. You'd have to think one of them uh, comes back in some fashion. But is it as simple as just moving that kid line up from a third line role to a second line role? Do you guys think that they're ready for that? Like just taking that whole line and just throwing it on the second line, or is that too much? Uh, too much, too early. I think it can I, get there. Yeah. And we talked about this. We've we've talked about like, hey, I I, w- I would much rather the kid lines stay together. Because I think each of those pieces, like Nick had mentioned with Panarin and, and Kako doing the board work, I think that also, you saw it work beautifully between the three. The three different, you know, Hedo, Lafreniere, and Kako all have a different kind of style, and it all complemented each other really well. Um, is it going to be something where Philip Hedo can move into the second line center role? That, to me, is a question mark. Even though he had a great playoffs, he's historically has not been a very good center. Um, so that's the thing is, what's the carryover? So that's what I'm curious to see is, what is the carryover from this? Because if we get even, I would say, three quarters of the of the season where it's consistent of what they did in the playoffs, that's a that's a huge leap forward for them. And then to me, yeah, they could they could be your your future second line. Yeah, I need I need Heedle to improve in the dot, and I need him to be better defensively. If he if he can clear up both of those, like I'll just take him at this point. I'll settle for him being better defensively, because faceoffs. I mean, they are extremely important, and I've always been one to bang that drum of faceoffs are important. But if Hedl can just show me that he can be a better defensive center, then they I'll take him. that. Yeah, like I'll, I'll move then. Yeah, move the kid line up, and you know, I just it, it goes back to me the the problem with this Ranger team and. It, it sucks with the flat cap and everything else. We are so wing heavy and we don't have any quality centermen coming through the, the pipeline. And it's that that's the one thing quality centers don't grow on trees. It, you know, it's yeah. everybody's looking for, you're always looking for that number one goalie, the number one D man and the number one center. I mean, thankfully the Rangers have all three, but after Zabanajad, there is no real strength down the middle so it's one of those things where i i look at the rangers they built up this tremendous pipeline thanks to jeff gorton and you know he's gonna draft shane right number one overall in montreal so enjoy that and but like nils lundquist there's no spot for nils lundquist on this ranger roster as of right now unless the rangers in a year or so buy out or trade jacob truba which i i have my own opinion on that but 
I just look at it. Do you trade Nils Lundqvist for uh, a second line center? Do you look to see if Winnipeg is going to make a huge move and move Mark Shifley? Do you revisit the JT Miller conversations? So, because I, I firmly believe that Nils Lundqvist will not be a part of the Rangers moving forward. And I think it's cemented by what you saw from Braden Schneider this year, that he wasn't phased by the moment. So I, I just look at it. The, the the biggest offseason question outside of, you know, Copper Strom is where is the – there's going to be a big move. I, I just believe that the Rangers are going to be making some sort of splash here. I just don't know where it is. Well, and I think that they're in position to do that. Like we, we talk about teams and we, we preach patience for a lot of these teams, right? Like don't get crazy in free agency. Don't get too silly in the off season and make moves that you're going to regret and give away picks and all these things. But I think the Rangers are now in a position where they can get aggressive and they can make those types of moves. And obviously you're always limited by the salary cap, right? And, and you mentioned the flat cap, Nick, it's important to bring up and they're not really getting a break there. It's not like they're getting a couple extra million dollars on the salary cap to play with, but I still think that you need to strike right now. Like you've got some good young players, you know, you've still got Keandre Miller on an entry level deal, which helps you out a little bit, at least for one more year. Same with Lafreniere, uh, wherever his game's going to be at this year. So I, I think that this is a really nice opportunity for them to take that step to build off of what they did, because the last thing you want to do is take a step back. You get this sort of momentum, you make a conference final, you know, the, the team's feeling really good. The last thing you want to do is have a down year and go back in the other direction. So you need to build off this. And I think it's it's time to get aggressive. It's time to start pushing the, the chips in the middle and make some moves. Yeah, I'm all for it. I always, I always was of the belief of at a certain point, especially when you're in a rebuild, you have to start looking at your prospects and even some picks or even some other players in your, in your organization as, as trade capital to yeah. improve on, you know, like Nick said, the second line center or top centers don't grow on trees. They're not easy to just go out and draft or go out and find or grab in free agency. It's got it. Sometimes it has to come where you got to get creative in the trade market. And this is where a GM can really, cut their teeth like like a Julian Brisbois, what he's done with, with Tampa, taking what Steve Yeiserman had built and then perfecting it. Um, I think they're kind of in that zone where it's like, how can we massage this and how can we build this so that we we continue the trend north and not not have like a revert back? And I think as a fan, too, I don't know if you guys agree, but I I always want my team to go for it. Like, I'm oh, yeah. obviously uh, to a to a certain extent, you don't want to be unrealistic if you're a terrible team and you're just making trades for the sake of it. But <laughs> if you feel like you've got a good enough team, it doesn't even necessarily have to be the best team in the league. But if you feel like you're close to that top five, maybe you're the best in your conference or close to it. As a fan, I just always want to see my team go for it. If it fails, it fails. Like, take the chance, take a swing, go down swinging. If it fails and we got to do another rebuild, so be it. But I, I'd always like to see my team take take those types of chances. That's why I love Jim Rutherford. He's never met a trade he didn't like, which That's I right. love. So That's it's right. like, for me, like, I, I wish all GMs took the Jim Rutherford approach of, you know, we're going to go out here, we're going to swing. So, like, we're going to see what we got here. How fun would the league be if we had 32 Jim Rutherfords? Just, we'd have trades every single day. It would be a blast. It would be amazing. I, I mean, I remember when he was in Pittsburgh when he traded for Carl Haglin, and it was like two o'clock in the morning. I remember I woke up <laughs> like and I saw the up, Penguins. He's like, yeah, I was like, I'll make a deal. Yeah, I was like, what in the world? I'm like, does this guy ever sleep or like, you know, like what the hell? Like, but I, I just, I look at it with the Rangers where it's like. 
I know there's a natural regression that's going to happen because I think this year a lot of it was nobody saw the Rangers being this good this quick. I mean, I thought we were a wild card team, maybe a top three team in the division. I didn't think that we would be battling Carolina at the end of the season for first in the division or, you know, being two wins away from a Stanley Cup final. Like, I, so I do think next year teams are going to be game planning for the Rangers a little bit more. They're, they're going to know what the Rangers have and what they can do. But there's there's it's on Chris Jury, and I thought he had a great trade deadline to mitigate that recession of, okay, yeah, we're going to come back to the pack a little bit, but how can I still make this team better five on five that we're not just relying on our power play? And how can I just make sure and navigate the cap enough to where, yeah, we're going to be in a cap crunch, but I can band-aid this a little bit to still make us competitive and maybe even put us over the top. I'm thinking, you know, just take one. Kreider's got, if you, you know, Kreider wants to be a leader here, take one for the team and LTIR himself. So, you know, that six and a half million goes, <laughs> goes on the, on the sideline there, pulls a, a, a little Kucherov action. And and then he comes back for the playoffs and then the Rangers are good to go, you know, so we can make a big splash and then away we go in the playoffs. (laughs) That's a true team player right there. That's the right. (laughs) That's a hell of a way to go out. (laughs) Hey, look, you and I, you were bigger on it than I was about Cooch and them stationing Cooch on LPIR. Well, when, yeah, yeah. a month before he started. Come on. <laughs> they played it beautifully. They did. I, I mean, look. Played yeah, it. Tip the cap. Tip the cap. The, well yep. played. The loophole is there, so if it's going to be there, you might as well exploit it. So okay. I'm all for Chris Kreider, you know. Oh, I tweaked something, and I, I can't play, and it needs surgery, and – you know, give us that six and a half million dollar relief uh, until the deadline. All right, real quick before we before we go, how do you think the rest of the final plays out? Who do you think takes it home? Yeah, I I felt like going in, and I, it's it's difficult because you watch the 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 first three games was what I wanted to see, and I actually said this on you know, on a couple other appearances, and I, I you know even on on my show on SiriusXM as well that I wanted to see the first three games of the series. So it's actually perfect that you're asking me this now because we've seen three games. I wanted to see at least one game in Tampa because I figured I, I, I knew what the games were going to look like in Colorado, that they were going to dominate puck possession, that they were going to dominate shots on goal. And it was going to take a heroic performance from Vasilevsky for the lightning to win. So we saw those two home games. They went basically the way I thought they would outside of game two, just the score being so lopsided. But in terms of the actual play on the ice, I saw what I needed to from Colorado on home ice. And now in my, I was curious what the game was going to look like in Tampa. After seeing it and seeing the fact that Colorado did still have some success offensively, was able to still have that puck possession game. I think they're a good goaltending performance on the road away from taking one in Tampa. So I don't trust Kemper, but he is capable of stepping up and playing a good game, whether that's in game four or whether that's maybe in a closeout game in game six. I feel like the Avs find a way to get this thing done, guys. I know Tampa gets better as the series goes on, and we've seen that many times. You guys saw it firsthand in the conference final, how they make those adjustments. I just think Colorado is a different animal, and they've got this business-like approach this year. So I think the Avs figure out a way to get this thing done in either six or seven. But I'm hoping it's seven. I'd like to see this thing go the distance. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I I don't want to see the series. uh, Yeah, no. I'm I'm more so on the the side of – 
I like to see mentally where a team is at after a tough loss and what can you show me the next game after getting hit. Tampa's already shown it, you know, like you said, they they showed us firsthand. You know, the Rangers snapped their their uh undefeated streak after losing in the playoffs and Tampa said, "Okay, that's fine. We'll just start a new one. We don't care." And so Tampa, you know mentally that they have it. I'm curious to see after a loss like in game three, after they've rolled all postseason, you know, two losses before they got to the Stanley Cup final, which is just insane. And honestly, they probably could have only had one or maybe even none. Um, They probably could have swept all three rounds before getting to the Cup final. You know, they've just been a buzzsaw. I want to see their response now after getting punched in the face a little bit. And do they have that bounce back in them? Because if they drop game four, I'm going to be steady in my resolve of taking Tampa in six. I like it. I like it. And I do think that, that, I mean, this game four is so pivotal, guys. I don't have to tell you. You've watched enough hockey. You know how these series work. Like a 2-1 series, Tampa wins this thing. Like you said, Nick, they're going to have a lot of momentum. It's 2-2. They're heading back to Colorado, feeling really good about themselves. Colorado will have taken two punches in the mouth at that point. But if it's 3-1 going back to to Colorado, if the Avs find a way to win a road game, they're going to have two chances to close this thing out on home ice. It's just, it's really hard to imagine Tampa winning twice in Colorado based on what we saw in those first two games. One time, yeah, I could see Vasilevsky getting hot, Tampa sneaking a couple goals. Maybe the power play finds a way to click. I could see that, but twice in Colorado, I I think is a big ask. So uh, game four, obviously Wednesday night is, is just massive for Tampa. Yep. Yeah. Couldn't say it better. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, Spot on. So, all right, Jake, as always, a big thanks for, for joining us. Great as always. Love having you on. Love chatting with you boys. Enjoy the off season and we'll see it. We'll see if your uh, Rangers wish list list gets checked off as we go along. (laughs) All right. So that's Jake Hahn, Sirius XM NHL network radios joined us quite a few times. Thanks again. and, And yeah, we'll definitely, we'll definitely be doing this again. Jake, thank you again. I appreciate it so much. All right, so what are your what's your thoughts on on Igor? So Igor takes home the Vezina. He finishes third for the heart. Um, what's your thoughts on? I, I just, I mean, uh, I, I just, I just look at, I mean, like the the heart decision. Or the 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 Vezina, in my opinion, it should have been unanimous. I just think the heart I knew was an uphill was an uphill climb, but I, I think they got it right. I mean, I would have a hard time, like, to put it in perspective. If Chris Kreider scored sixty goals this year, and a goalie won the 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 Hart Trophy over him, I would probably be miffed. You know, so I look at it. I think that was the right call. I, I'm I'm a little annoyed at the three second place votes that Igor got for the Vezina. I think that's a joke. Like I think that's a joke. I just I find it crazy that Jacob Markstrom and UC Soros didn't get a first a first vote, but yet Freddie Anderson and Ilya Sorokin did. Sorokin doesn't bother me because he had a really good year numbers he wise. Did, he had a really good year. It's interesting to me that fi- two finalists didn't get a first vote. Yeah, that's, I, that's interesting to me. 
I think I think Soros not getting a first place vote was more strange than Markstrom. Yeah, I mean, UC Soros had a terrific season. He had a ter- I mean, Jacob Markstrom had a terrific season too. Neither one of them were Igor Shosturkin. So that was the thing. I wanted to see Igor, and even though it's 29 to 3 and you're like, really? There's three there's three voters, three GMs out there that said, "No, not Igor." Um, yeah. I, I, I would love to know. I'd be betting I'd be betting that one of them is Lou Lamarillo. Yeah, I was going to say it's probably Lou Probably Lou, like Lou, Dubas, and maybe uh, who's the GM in Pittsburgh now? Okay, Hextall. Yeah, Hextall. Maybe that's the three. Who knows? All right. Um, my heart is broken because uh, John Tortorella. Uh, Philly seems right though. I hate to say that. Philly and Tortorella probably go yeah, to his, like peanut butter and jelly. They go together like lamb and tuna fish. <laughs> what? Like salmon and cream cheese. No, okay. I know there's somebody who watched Big Daddy who listens to I know, but podcast. he's just like... <laughs> oh, man. But I... I, I uh... He's perfect for the city. He is. Yes. He's going to give them an identity. And he's going to do. He's going to do. And a lot of people say, "Oh my God, all the players." All the stuff. <laughs> he's going to do for those that weren't Ranger fans or those that were young Ranger fans and didn't really weren't really around much for like the dark era of Ranger hockey. He's going to do for Philly. Philly is kind of in that same. They have no identity. That the Rangers were when when Torts came into town. Kind of in the same. Maybe not as maybe No, it's as bad. It's it's as bad. Yeah, I mean Because A V did changed the identity and the culture big time with the Rangers. Whether you want to give him the credit for that or not, he did. He really did. Um there was a big change and a lot of it got to that blue collar mentality, you know, and you saw what happened in twenty twelve with that team. That team ridiculously overachieved. Tortorella is the type of coach. He's very polarizing. You either love him or hate him. Ironically, some of the players that have come out and have bashed him, I am not surprised that they don't love him. Would you ever expect a Sean Avery or a Matthew Barnaby to love a coach that was a hard ass? No. Or a Brandon Dubinsky. Or, right. So, you know, yeah, did his welcome get worn out and burned out in New York? Sure. He's kind of like Bill Parcells or Billy Martin. Like, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's a lot to handle. But when you listen, I mean, you listen to that speech that he gave in Columbus. How could you not want to run through a fucking wall for a guy like that? I mean, that speech, Columbus was done. We were sitting here. I remember this vividly. You and I were watching game one of that series, sitting there going, Holy crap, Bobrovsky is cooked. Columbus is going to get mowed. And then they play that speech. Because I, I think I remember they played that speech on TV that night. I think that speech was, that clip was played. Not the full thing, but like a snippet. And I mean, you, you know what happened. I mean, he even says he created the monster of Tampa. But just to be able to take that team, Columbus had no business winning that series against Tampa. They had no business. And and for them to do what they've done and for what Columbus, for what he's done for Columbus, a team that really had no identity. Yeah, he built that for he helped build 
I know he had his thing program. in Vancouver and the Vancouver stop. Vancouver is like a place where I feel like people go to die. I feel like that's just me. I mean, Vancouver is a weird organization overall. I feel like I just, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know where they're coming or going or whatever, but I see Philly. I see a lot of similarity in the lack of identity, the lack of strong structure and everything with Philly. I mean, AV left it in a freaking absolute disaster. Not a shock. Look what he did to Vancouver. Look what he did to the Rangers. It's it's a common theme. Wherever so, Elaine Vigneault goes, I hate they, it that it's Philly. And I shambles. absolutely hate that it is Philly. But damn, you could be really you'd be really fooling yourself to not say, yeah, this seems like the perfect fit. But I'll say this, you know, who who might be the happiest person about this hire is Carter Hart. Yeah, he'll finally get some backup. He'll, he'll get, get backup some home. help. He'll get some help. And then people are saying, oh, Cam Atkinson, poor Cam Atkinson. Cam Atkinson had a great career under torts in Columbus. Like, I like I find it funny. Like, I, I really find it funny. But I, I always say to people that are, like, torts haters, go listen to some of the interviews of some people of what they say. Like Mike Rupp, for instance, talks about torts. There's a lot of people that talk about their time with torts, um, and it's and it's well, and I think it's well worth it. I know well, people, I, I just, people crap on him because of the media and because of how he he conducts himself. Look, it's nothing unique. It's just what he is. I just I, I just rather, at it. You I, have to take comments from where they come from. Take them from the source. Right. The players that have had issues with Tortorella are the kind of players that did not like accountability. That like like Brandon Dubinsky, his whole issue with Tortorella stemmed from the fact that he thought he should have been named captain over Callahan. And he should have well and and with with Columbus that there were younger players who were better, more talented and and were healthy got opportunities to play over him. And I love I love Doobie. I have one Doobie. I have a Doobie jersey. Doobie was one yeah, of my my favorite black and blue shirts. I can't believe that you actually spent money on his jersey. He got traded right after I got it. So thank God, praise so, Jesus. It was a reverse jinx. But no, I just I to me I always looked at it in this way. I always looked at it in in sports because I've had coaches on both sides of the spectrum or both sides of the coin, I guess you would say, and in career-wise in work, I would rather know where I stand and deal with a straight shooter than deal with somebody that pussyfoots around an issue or doesn't want doesn't handle confrontation well at all and just allows things to kind of go off the rails. I, I would much rather deal with 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 getting kind of kicked kicked in the teeth, but knowing that this is why I need to do, or this is what I'm doing, or this isn't working or, or whatever. Um, that's, that's where I would rather be. So that's always been, that's always been my kind of in, infatuation, I guess you could say, or, or love of Tortorella as a coach to me personally. Um, another thing before we, before we wrap up here, I put this out on Twitter. I don't know if you saw this, but the Hartford Wolfpack, the American hockey league affiliate of the New York Rangers is having a, Hockey Fest in August. 3v3 street hockey. 3v3 with a goalie. 
And you can create your teams. You can register your teams. That's $450 per team. You got until July 28th to register. But it's a street hockey tournament for divisions of all ages, genders, and skill levels. Um, Three-on-three plus a goalie in hopes of being crowned the first champion of Hartford Hockey Fest. Chris, you're not getting me out there. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's three-on-three street hockey. Yeah, and I'm fat and overweight, and I will, ha- I will have a heart attack. You don't have to push. It's it's less strenuous than ice hockey. Come on. So, Chris you want to start trying to kill me? While, while Nick stands on the sidelines, you know where to find me. I'm all for it. Goalie, center, defenseman, I'll do whatever. I don't care. Okay, I'll do it if you're goalie. If you're goalie, I'll I'm do goalie. it. Yeah. Oh boy. So we got two. Can we get uh can we get two more? It's four hundred and fifty bucks total. So that's a hundred and twelve a person or whatever. Let's do it. Let's <sighs> take that let's take that crown, baby. Oh my god. Face off hockey at thirty on Broadway, going pound town in Hartford. And to wrap up the podcast, because I wanted to jump into to our conversation with Jake. But, again, a huge thanks to Manscaped for for partnering with us and for supporting us here at the Faceoff Hockey Network and 30 on Broadway. Uh, again, I just wanted to talk about this performance package. And I'm not talking about <laughs> Nick's face right now. It's just <laughs> funny. Uh, That's it, it's summer. Up. Nobody wants sweaty balls in summer. I don't. Do you? I'm not a fan of it. I don't like. No, I don't. It. I don't have sweaty balls. Yeah, so you, you gotta take care of yourself. All right. And thanks to Manscaped, I now can take care of my balls. <laughs> there you go. But just really quick, this thank you, Manscaped, for letting me take care of my balls. I this, appreciate this it. Performance Package 4.0. It comes with the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which obviously, if you're wondering. Lawnmower, what's it for? Take a wild guess. All right. The Weed Whacker. Pubic hair. For your ear and nose. Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. Cop, crop, cop. <laughs> Andrew Cop revive, Reviver Toner. <laughs> you got a pair of boxer briefs, which felt freaking awesome, by the way. And a travel bag. And an awesome travel bag. There's other packages, too. You don't have to go and break the bank and buy the Performance Package 4.0. There's other packages on there. You can get you can get the trimmer. You can get the weed whacker. You can get – they have other items on their website on manscaped.com, and all you got to do is use promo code the FHN. You will get 20% off and free shipping. Again, manscaped.com, the FHN, or 30 on Broadway. Either hey, of those. Trust me. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Mine are thanking me already. So there you go. Believe me, your balls will be happy, which in turn will make you happy. There's there's no other way to that. That's the perfect ending to this episode. So have a ball, everyone.